Hey, hello, Vista. I'm Rich Dargenio. I know many of you, and I've been attending at the Worthington campus and have been uh, helping with teaching for the last few years. And it's a privilege to be here and sharing with you. Um, I want to tell you a little bit about myself, something that some people know is I actually moved here to Columbus eight years ago from Cleveland, lived in Avon Lake, which is right on the Lake Erie. And uh, one thing about what we loved about Avon Lake where we lived is the town has a ton of big oak trees uh, everywhere, the huge ones. And our uh, yard was awesome. It was covered by a canopy of great big oak trees that were about 40 or 50 feet tall. They towered over our house. We thought when we bought the house, it was amazing because it was a canopy that was over us. And little did we know that there were a couple downsides. First downside was that the leaves were unbelievable. We, it just took days and hours every week to get all the leaves. But probably the worst one was we found out living near Lake Erie, there are tons of storms, lots of wind storms. And as we lay in bed in the first month that we got there, my wife and I would just hear these huge trees and the massive wind storms. And we literally thought they were going to fall in our house. And so every day that there was a windstorm, we lived in fear. And I mentioned those oak trees because I think uh, the Bible is very clear uh, in many places, but one is in Galatians 5, where it talks about that we have fruit of the Spirit, that I think a tree, those trees uh, that are massive oak trees in Avon Lake by Lake Erie, by the winds and in the storms is a good picture of our Christian life. And um, as a believer, like a tree, we're supposed to be growing and vibrant and alive. And, uh, but what we see, and we're supposed to see the fruit of the Spirit coming out of our lives. But as we, was, I was telling you, as we know, storms do hit our lives. And I would say in the last four months, if you've been living where I live, uh, there's been a ton of storms in our life. And um, the coronavirus obviously has been the big thing. Uh, but honestly, for me, if I'm being honest, the storm that's hit me and has kind of pushed me back and forth in the wind is all the racial injustice and all the racial violence. And um, that has really shaken me to the core. And um, I want to ask as we get going, have you stopped when you think about the storms of life that hit us? Uh, have you really stopped and thought long enough? about what God is revealing in you through these storms. It's been really important for me. A couple things that have come in for me for the coronavirus, it's revealed to me that you can't take any fellowship in the body of Christ for granted. And it has pushed me to think through when we can actually start being together on a more regular basis. I'm going to be more intentional and clean up some of that and get some more accountability in my life. But really, the bigger thing for me has been the racial injustice, and it's revealed in me a vision I need to have as a leader in the body of Christ to actually not be silent anymore, to use my position of leadership in a new way. So I want to ask as we get started, and as we talk about the struggles, because the, the series that we're in is called The Struggle is Real. So I think we're in a, in a real place right now with all that's going on. I want to ask you, what is God revealing to you about yourself in the last four months? Because I think if we could know that and we could listen to the Lord, God would show us a lot. Uh, I also love this picture of a tree in Avon Lake where I lived with the storms because the root system that's there is what I had to put my faith in. When we lay in bed at night, we think it's going to come over and fall on its side on our house. Um, that root system is what supported it. 
And in this sermon series, we're going through a thing called the Apostles' Creed. Now, for me and some people, we grew up with that. And so I knew it and was familiar with it. But this Apostles' Creed is really a picture of a root system in our life. It's the theology behind what we believe and why we have our faith. And uh, I love to say this. I've heard it said this way. Our roots determine our fruits. So what we're rooted in, where how deep our, our roots go and what they go into biblically will produce the fruit in our lives. So our beliefs and our understandings from God's word need to anchor us in the midst of the storm. So here's my question. How developed are your biblical roots? Or maybe to ask it in a different way, do the storms of life shake your faith? And I've loved what Mike has done over the last few weeks as we've gotten into uh, the Apostles' Creed. He's talked a little bit about these first two words, I believe. I believe. So the question is, do you have a belief system that's rooted on God? And are you willing to say the word if? I love how he said that a couple weeks ago or last week. If, if, if you could think about what it is that you believe in and where do you put your faith? This morning, I want to take it a little further. We're going to go all the way to this point. I believe in God, the Father Almighty. I believe in God, the Father Almighty. And what I want to do is look at these two words today and what they mean. Uh, in our theology and the root system for our lives, what does the Father and the Almighty mean? Now, I think about a little bit. I think about the Almighty. I think about a king or someone who's to be revered or maybe someone who would be intimidating. I don't know any kings, but in, if there was a king, I think they'd be pretty intimidating. But that doesn't really go along this Almighty picture with maybe the Father, who I think of as a supportive, if we think about our best case picture of a father, it would be someone who's supportive and loving and available. How do those two things go together? And I think what we're going to find out is that this God that we're talking about, that we put our faith in, in the Apostles' Creed, in these theological terms, is really the, the king that is our father. He's both. He's much bigger than we can ever imagine. And I've heard it said this way, if you have a small view of God, you're going to have a small amount of faith. And likewise, if you have a bigger or an expanding view of God, you'll have a bigger and larger amount of faith. And my hope is that as we talk and as you listen, and as I listen to myself, that our faith and our view of God would both expand today. Because God's word is so powerful. And that's what the Apostles' Creed is about. All these theological terms are tied to biblical passages that are mainstays and roots for us in our stability. And what I love about God's word is it doesn't give you just words, but it gives you pictures. So I would like to today walk through a passage in Mark where I want to give you a couple pictures of God, the father almighty in the person of Jesus Christ in a great passage in Mark chapter five. Now, as we go into Mark chapter five, you're going to see there are two people we're going to talk about. One, a lot less, a guy named Jairus, and then really more, a woman that they call a woman who was bleeding. And um, we're going to look at the struggle uh, that they were in. Their struggle was very real. They, and how did they encounter God, the Father Almighty, in the form of Jesus? I'm going to start by reading from Mark chapter 5. If you're at home right now, I'd encourage you to take out your Bible. It's so much more powerful when you read it from God's Word right in front of you. Mark chapter 5. And it's going to be verses 21 through 28, but it starts out this way. And I love it when Jesus is this picture. It's so tangible. 
And it says this is when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was at the lake. Um, Jesus, who was there, obviously living there, he comes back from actually healing someone on one side of the lake, gets onto the shore, and it says that a large crowd gathered. There was something about Jesus that he was God in the flesh, and he was so radically different that people came from everywhere to see him. He drew a crowd. Um, then it says, goes on to say this. This is when we start meeting these two people uh, that Jesus comes face to face with. It says, then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus uh, came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. Now think about that. He's a very influential man, and he falls in the middle of this crowd on his feet at Jesus. And he says, and it says he pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her and she will be healed and live. So when Jesus then went with him, a large crowd followed. And if you can imagine Jesus walking, it says that the crowd followed and pressed in all around him. And that there was also a woman there who had been subject to, for, to bleeding for 12 years. Here's the first thought that I have that it seems pretty obvious, but as Jesus walked in this crowd, here's what I believe. Everyone's struggle is real to God. Everyone. It didn't matter who you were. There were hundreds of people in that crowd probably, but there were two people that got the attention of Jesus. And I love that Jesus, the God on earth, would actually stop and be with them. The first one is Jairus. And we notice in this passage how different these two people are. Um, first of all, Jairus is named, he's wealthy, he's influential, and he's privileged. He was a synagogue ruler. He, he actually had a huge place in their culture, and in their culture, he had all the influence. And yet, when he gets in front of Jesus, he falls to his feet, or at Jesus' feet, and, and has a public display of desperation. And then you have the second, who you couldn't be more opposite, that gets Jesus' attention that day. And it's a woman that's called the, a bleeding woman. How would you like it if your nickname for 2,000 years isn't even your name, but you're defined by the disease or the problem you had. Um, she's unnamed, she's poor, she's marginalized and underprivileged. And yet, in this passage, you're going to see there's no, no desperation publicly that comes out. And Jesus enters into both of their struggles. And I grew up in church, like maybe many of you or some of you, um, here's what I, I understand about myself. It's easy for me to miss the most profound things because I'm so used to being around church and being around or thinking about God. But here's really a profound thing. It doesn't matter who we are. God meets us all in our struggles. Both Jairus and the bleeding women, uh, lives personally intersected God the Father Almighty that day. And I love this thought of I believe in the beginning of the Apostles' Creed. So I'm asking you as we start here, do I believe that God is the Father Almighty? Do you have a big enough view of Jesus? Here's what's crazy about that. If Jesus walks into a crowd and would notice them, he'd notice us too. There's something profound about the fact that he's aware of us and he can know us personally. And he knows everything we're going through. Let's focus specifically on this bleeding woman. Because I, I would like to confess even to you that even when I think about my struggles and what I go through daily in life, or even more recently, I really want to be self-sufficient. That's kind of the sin of many of us is a pride that says we don't really need God's help and we just power through. It says this in verse 25, and a woman was there who had been bleeding 
uh, subject to bleeding for 12 years, and she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all she had, get this, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus and this crowd, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Uh, one thing I've learned and I see here is that our struggle often is actually an internal struggle that nobody else knows about, if we're honest. It's such a dichotomy between the synagogue ruler who falls at his feet and says, can you come help me? And then Jesus starts walking along with him. But instead, in this passage, the woman who is destitute, I mean, she's gone through everything for 12 years, and she still has got this kind of covert, uh, I would call it really a, a silent desperation. Um, she's got this quiet desperation that's hard, because one of the things you have to realize what's going on here, as she's in this crowd, you got to realize in Jewish culture, if someone suffered from a, something like this, either this or leprosy, a bleeding that wasn't common, it was commonly known that you were actually what they call unclean. There was this thought in the day that God would punish you, and that's why she was sick. So she had this quiet desperation, and she was living with this secret, because when you're unclean, you can't actually even go to the synagogue. You can't be a part of what God is doing in the community, and you're actually uh, marginalized from that, and you feel far from God. So you're isolated emotionally, you're isolated relationally, and you're isolated spiritually. Um, she was living in this quiet desperation. You can think about it for a minute. Twelve years she had spent with this disease. I'm pretty sure she was discouraged. She tried many doctors and spent everything. That means she was in poverty. Uh, getting worse and hopelessness, I think she's probably at the end of her rope, and she's probably at this point thinking, is this Jesus, is this God Almighty, is he real? Is he actually going to help? I think many of us can identify with her, and I'd say it this way, many of us carry a lot without, without ever saying anything, kind of like this woman. Um, I was with a friend over the last couple years, and I remember distinctly this question, so I want to ask it to you. Um, I was going through, my family was actually going through a pretty hard time, a little stretch. And I saw him after not seeing him for a while. He lives in DC. I was at a meeting with him actually. And he said to me, Rich, you're carrying a lot. I said, what do you mean you're carrying a lot? I looked at, I had a backpack on. I was like, I, I, it's not that heavy. He's like, no, no, I can tell by your countenance that you're carrying a lot. Um, as we've been through these last four months, are you discouraged? Do you feel alone? Have you tried everything with no, with no relief? There's a lot of internal struggles that we have, and we don't let anyone know about them. And uh, things like that I've noticed just in some of my friends and in my life recently, uh, financial pressures. Uh, a lot of people are without jobs. Uh, health concerns. Many people, COVID or not, have health concerns we're walking through. Broken relationships riddle many of our lives. Um, depression, anxiety, and I put worry in there too, because there are times when I'm thinking about that stuff and worrying about stuff, and I'm struggling in a quiet desperation. And then what about a family member who's struggling? A lot of us have that, or maybe someone that you deeply love that's far from the Lord. And then maybe you're just experiencing loss and grief. Um, I love the statement she makes, and she's saying it to herself because she's in quiet desperation, she says, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. And what I love about this woman is that she sneaks up 
in the crowd anonymously and touches and covertly reaches out and touches his coat. It goes on to say that immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that the power went out from his body. Uh, In one moment, she was healed by God the Father Almighty. God's healing power, as he walked through that crowd, went from his body to his clothes, to her hand that was touching, through her arm and into her internal organs, and she was immediately healed, and she felt the healing. After 12 years, could you imagine the feeling that's inside of her as her body is being healed from the inside out? The same power that created the universe, it's God, the Almighty King, uh, is recreating the bleeding woman's internal organs. The Almighty God on earth had healed her. There are many miracles of God being the Almighty God. Uh, in scripture. There was another time where Jesus took a boy's lunch. It was five loaves of bread and two fish, just enough for one person. And he fed the multitude of over 5,000 people. As the disciples were handing it out and they'd hand it to one person, it would magically appear in their hand. That was his almighty power to provide. Uh, was on a, a violent storm one time on a boat in the middle of this big lake. And as the storm was crashing in over the boat, he said three words, quiet, be still. And the storm stopped and it was dead calm. He has the almighty power over nature. And right before this, when he was on the other side of the lake, there was a man who was demon possessed. And that demon possessed man, he reached out and he cast the demon out of the man. And made him sane. He has the almighty power over Satan and the forces of evil. A few hours after this, he goes with Jairus. And he goes in and he touches the hand of Jairus' dead daughter, already been dead for probably hours, and breathed life right back into her. He has almighty power over life and death. The Apostles' Creed says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty. Jesus was the almighty king of the universe come to earth. But when I think of a king and I think of a powerful person, I think of someone who's more removed and someone who's kind of distant. And if anything, if I ever, I don't know any kings, but if I met a king, I'm pretty sure I would be pretty intimidated and maybe he'd be pretty put off by me. You would think that Jesus, after the power went out, would literally just walk away and just be with Jairus because Jairus had a pressing need. But no, I love this is what happens. But instead we see this, the almighty king of the universe actually wants to know us. Not just fix us, but know us. Mark 5.30 goes on to say, he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? And then the disciples leading, uh, giving a little bit of comic relief said, you see the people crowding around you and yet you ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking for her. There's this sense that God doesn't want to just be our king. He wants more. This is where I, I want to ask you, do you believe that God wants that kind of a personal relationship with us? I love that he stops. He's not too busy to look and talk to the woman who was bleeding. I'm pretty much finding that God is, I look at the scriptures as he walked through all of life. He was never too busy. He was God and he wasn't too busy. I think for me, I have a hard time finding people who aren't too busy. He was absolutely available 
to this woman and he's available to us. It's hard to find a friend who's available. He's literally just one prayer away anytime you need him. Whatever you're struggling with now, God is available. Will you respond to him? Do you pour your heart out to him? Do you go to him? This woman who was bleeding dead, it goes on to say this, and this is where it shifts from him being the king of the universe to being a loving heavenly father too. When the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, she told him the whole truth. Think about that statement for a minute. He stopped and he listened to the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. He's not only an almighty God in the Apostles' Creed, he's also the Father Almighty. He's actually, get this, the King who is our Father. Notice the demeanor of the interaction that happens between this woman and Jesus, the God of the universe, who's the king that's our father. And it's amazing because all these other people around, but it doesn't phase Jesus. I think there was actually two miracles that happened. One was to the inside of her body, the internal organs that just got healed. But I think it also healed her emotionally and fully as a person. She told him the whole truth. It's like a dad who listens to you, that you can just jump on his lap and say anything that's bothering you or just to enjoy a father. I know we all want that. Not all of us have great pictures of dads that we grew up with, and many of us who are dads aren't perfect. But isn't that what all of us want? How long do you think that story was? She suffered for 12 years. She could have started at the beginning of her life and said, this is what I've been experiencing. He told her, she told him the whole story. Or maybe just what it was like to suffer for 12 years. And then he does something that's amazing. As a heavenly father, he says, he calls her daughter. Remember I told you, she didn't have a name. She was nameless. The only name she had was the bleeding woman. I love that he uses a term of endearment, and he gives her a new name. He makes her a daughter of Israel. That means that she's not unclean anymore. He was healing her throughout all of her spiritually and emotionally in every part of her so that now she'd be restored to the synagogue. And now she was a daughter of Israel. The fathers are providers. He, he provides peace and healing and stability. That's what this God is like, who is an almighty God, but he's also our father. I love how Tim Keller puts it. He describes this thought of God being a king who is also your father in this way. The only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is their child. We have that kind of access. I love that. That's a picture of what it's like to know God, the almighty father. I'll read it again. The only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is their child. We have that kind of access. All of our earthly fathers are imperfect. We know that. But I love that he offers us this kind of relationship with him. What's it mean to have that kind of access to the God and Father Almighty? I want to give you a little illustration that gives maybe a picture of what that looks like. I want to use my daughter, Holly, who is my number two kid, and it was when she was five. And we were actually at Hershey Park in Pennsylvania, which is a big amusement park. And when you bring little kids to an amusement park, as a parent who likes to go on roller coasters and big rides, it actually was crazy because it was really hard to be there. So I was always trying to get my kids to go on rides that might have been a little too crazy. And we were at this one, and it doesn't look like a bad ride, 
Uh, I think it's called the Cyclops, and I think they'll throw the picture up right now of what it looked like. It's basically a ride that starts off going horizontal, and it's got these little cars that hang there and in front of you. It's like a bench seat, so people sit in front of other people. And you're in a car, it's all closed in, because what happens is as it spins around horizontally, the centrifugal force actually pulls the cars up because it goes so fast. And then after a few times around, and it goes fast enough, it actually, a big arm brings it up and it starts going sideways and eventually upside down. So you're literally going around in a circle upside down like a loop. And I thought, well, I got to get my daughter on this. this. I know I'm a sick person that I did this, but I had Holly in my arms. And as the ride was going around horizontally, I would show her, Holly, that looks like fun. And you got to realize, Holly at this point, five big eyes curly, curly brown hair. And she'd be like, oh, that looks good. And then as soon as the arm would go up and it would start going over, I would kind of turn her back to it so that she couldn't see what was about to happen. I know I'm evil. It's awful. But I just want to go on a ride. So anyway, we get on this ride and we start spinning around and Holly was doing fine. I mean, she was giggling a little bit and, and we're all enclosed. She's sitting right in front of me. And all of a sudden I had this panic of a thought, which was this. First of all, my wife's going to kill me. She is going to kill me after she finds out I did this. She's going to be really mad and she'll never talk to me again. And Holly will probably hate me. And then I thought, we're going to have to stop the ride because she's going to cry and it's going to be all over once it goes vertical. So I decide that I'm just not to do anything. And I just, and as we start spinning around and as it starts going up, I notice Holly's hands go on the side rails and her knuckles are white because she's just holding on for dear life. And she's whimpering a little bit. She's not crying. And I'm kind of thinking, oh, this could get bad. And as we went higher and higher, I could hear her making noises. And the only thing I thought I could do is I wrapped my arms around her and pulled her close to me, tight. And as she did, I, I wasn't sure it was making noises. She I thought she was crying. But what ended up happening is as we started going upside down, I thought she was crying. But as I held her close to me, she started laughing. And at a certain point, she was enjoying it so much because I was holding her tight that she put her hands up. And like, you know, when you're enjoying a ride on a roller coaster, those crazy people put their hands up. She was laughing and giggling because of her access to her loving father who was holding her tight in the midst of something that would cause a lot of anxiety for a five-year-old. That's what it looks like for us to have a heavenly father who's also the king. Our access to him changes everything. Him being our loving father changes everything. It's an assurance and a confidence that we can be okay and enjoy life, even in the midst of what's hard and the struggles that we have. I want to end with a word uh, from Paul's writing uh, in Romans 8. And I also want to end giving us and myself and Vista a challenge. Because if what I just said is true, he's a loving Father, who's also the king of the universe, and we have access to him, it it's a game changer. It changes everything. Listen to what Paul says, and I want you to listen for the king and father words in the midst of this passage. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He's the king. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? That's the father providing everything. Who will bring a charge against those who God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who then is one who condemns? No one. Christ who died, more than that, was raised to life 
is at the right hand of God and is now interceding for us. That's God the King making a way for us to know him through his son, Jesus Christ. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? That's the Father. For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors for them from him who loves us. I love this line. For I am convinced. That's, that's the assurance. That's the game changer. If we know he's God, who is our father and is also the almighty king. I'm convinced that neither life nor death, neither angels or demons, neither present or nor future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Is that not a game changer if that's true about who we know and who the Apostles' Creed says is a heavenly father that is the king? So here's my question. Are you convinced it's true? Is this true for you? If we're sons and daughters of the Almighty God, who's our father, we should be the most, get this, this is a challenge. We should be the most loving, joyful, peaceful, grateful, patient, forgiving, hospitable, sacrificial, dynamic, and generous people on the whole earth. So Vista, does that describe us? Let me end in a word of prayer. God, the Father and Almighty, we believe. We really want to believe. Give us the faith to believe in the midst of all the storms we're going through that you are our heavenly father and you're the king of the universe that has everything under control. So God, teach us the rest in you. And as we have that assurance, Lord, I pray that you would give us the love and the compassion for the rest of the world. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.